On a world hurtling its way towards damnation amidst the fear and despair of a broken human race, who's left to fight for what's good and pure? Night rule. We're extremely pleased to be joined again by Nando Vila of Jacobin. Hey, Nando, how's it going, brother? Good, good to be back on Night Rule. Repeat guest. Yeah. This is very exciting. Yeah, after six uh, appearances, you get a free uh, Subway sandwich, six inch. Um, See, only six inch? Yeah, and it's limited to the like more like kind of run of the mill ones, you know? Like Eventually a turkey sandwich. Hoping, yeah, you turkey. Get a BMT. Yeah, exactly. Or like the crab. Do they still do the crab one? No. Is that even premium? It's mostly just gross. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, it's been a pretty crazy uh, time the last few weeks in the news. I think, uh, you know, the biggest story, certainly on my mind, and I think on a lot of people's minds, is the situation on the ground in Afghanistan and Kabul in particular. I mean, right before I came on with you now, I was like, I made sure I refreshed the page on Al Jazeera to be like, okay, is there any more fucking like horrific scenes a la like Schindler's List style hosing down people? I mean, apparently like the, the on the ground, the entire environs around the airport basically just look like a refugee camp right now, right? Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you, like I've got a few, a few questions for you. I mean, I, I read a pretty like disturbing article that said that, um, you know, a year ago, two years ago, during the Trump administration, there was a, a cadre of people within the administration that quite rightfully and morally and rationally wanted to start getting people out and, and letting people apply for refugee status and whatnot. But there apparently was a certain group within the administration led by one Stephen Miller, mm. basically pushing back on that and saying, okay, you know, and kind of probably beginning to frame the debate we're starting to see as, as it's framed on Fox News and those kinds of people. Um, and I've, I've even heard some people say that, their, that the behavior of Stephen Miller and his, uh, his cohorts was like so reprehensible that it might even require like criminal investigation. So my first question to you is, can you imagine a bigger piece of shit on earth than Stephen Miller right now at this moment in time? Uh, no, I cannot imagine a bigger piece of shit on earth i actually a friend of mine went to high school with him and he has all kinds of stories that i cannot repeat publicly because i don't want to get him in trouble but you know he went to santa monica high school just down the street of where i am right now mm. um there's that famous video of him giving a speech uh, at santa monica high school saying that he doesn't understand why he why he has to pick up the trash after he um eats lunch in the cafeteria because that's what we pay janitors for you know or he, nice. you know he doesn't yeah, that was so he was a reprehensible, awful human being, apparently at a young age. Um, but I, I generally buy the idea that Trump personally had the right instincts on Afghanistan, that he was like, you know, didn't quite understand why we were there um, and probably would have wanted to get out, but just didn't have the um, wherewithal, follow through, prestige, whatever you want to call it to to push through the inevitable pushback that Biden is seeing. I mean, you see like Biden who does have all those things within the context of the American state, um, the difficulty he's having to even carry this out. I mean, I, I, I buy the argument that I've heard from some people that um, a huge part of the of what we're seeing in terms of like the quote unquote chaos or the hastiness of this um, exit that it wasn't you know planned and executed in a sort of well-oiled machine way is because the 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 military people simply just didn't just didn't take the orders that like biden and the administration the civilian government was just like okay we're gonna pull out like 
you know, you guys need to do a plan. <laughs> and they were just like, no, like just like, just insubordination. And uh, well, like what, um, what, what, for what motivation though? Just because they thought just to stay in there. To, 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 they thought they would be pre- it's pressure. Extended. Yeah. Pressure yeah. to extend pressure to, you know, stay in there as long as possible and to, and to make it as difficult as possible for uh, that person to make that decision. You know, it's uh, um, I get the sense that these, you know, that the, that the American, military machine has emboldened has become very emboldened and very much uh you know doesn't like to do what it's told by the civilian leadership i mean that's just that's that's i i i find that pretty persuasive but you know who the hell knows really what's going on in there well i'm sure there could be no potential problems stemming from that i don't think i don't think uh over an unruly military um presence in any country has ever caused any kind of harm in the history of humankind Wait, hold on. Well, Let me you check. know, we'll oh, have no, like an, no, it did. It did cause some problems in the past, actually. Did cause some pro- you know, I mean, in the best case scenario, you get like a Hugo Chavez or like a uh, or like a Napoleon, you know, ushering mm-hmm. in modernity to the uh, French feudal state. Um, but yeah, most of the time you get, you know, more like, uh, uh, you know, some Latin American right wing maniac like Pinochet or. Uh, you know, whoever the fucking uh, Rios yeah. Mont in, in Guatemala, you know, sure. Yeah, that's the that's the usual uh, outcome of that. Yeah, it's probably like 90 10 the split, I would say. I mean, yeah, I think I feel as though we've really I mean, my main concern is the kind of uh, reification of a politics of cruelty. I mean, something we people talked about uh, during the Sanders campaign, it was kind of a thinking or talking point was this idea of like a politics of basic human decency. And Mm -hmm. I think that's been pushed back a great extent. And we're now seeing like the politics of cruelty and cruelty signaling really asserting themselves, asserting itself really, really strongly. And I, I, I feel as though it stems largely from, you know, a pretty fucked up place. Like um, I was reading uh, these uh, reports about to do with uh, like, I feel, I feel as though the white supremacists are so loath to give up their sense of increased self-esteem in comparison to others and they're just clinging to it with every fiber of their being because they have so little else to cling on to. Um, like I've, I've read these studies that, you know, talk about uh, media depictions of different ethnicities and how, you know, if, uh, if, if, they're, if a certain group is depicted in a certain way, like say like a mascot for a, a sports team, the people of that group get take a hit to their self-esteem when they see it, but the white people that see it all get a boost to theirs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Do you think that that ultimately um maybe it's a hopeful note that that really it's just a really childish lash lashing out of just like they they, they want to keep their bottle and hopefully you know we don't actually see the politics of cruelty and fear and hatred kind of metastasize into something more fascistic and, and like full-blown uh i hope so <laughs> i mean the i mean the reality is that the lib the libs who 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 like made all the quote unquote economic anxiety jokes for for a long time are like 100% wrong i mean in that the the rise of a politics of hatred and fascism usually arises in a context of economic collapse that has always happened that way i mean it's just that's just the reality of it like the the big test case we have is europe in the 1930s uh, emerging from world war 1 um, and then the subsequent um, economic catastrophe of 1929 uh, and turning to a politics of, of outright fascism in, in a bunch of those countries. Um, so uh, that was used to be the conventional narrative. Uh, that used to be like the conventional wisdom that you learned in, in a 
fucking social studies textbook in in high school not like you know not like reading chomsky or anything like that um but that's been flipped on its head once it's kind of once the possibility of that is confronted with here in that it's not about the individual people it's not about it's it's about a sort of broader malaise in the society that arises from a economic collapse like the one we had in 2008 followed up by um the you know the pandemic now is that like if you don't do anything to fix the society um by shoring up the the flow of of money to the people who most need it and give people a sense of security uh, a sense of future a sense of hope all those things um then you will see a politics of hate and uh, 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 and and the possibility of, of a fascist takeover. Um, the the thing that's missing uh, for a fascist takeover in the United States, um, which is something that I talk about with uh, Danny Bessner a lot, who this was his field of study when he did his PhD. Um, he Fantastic was, he was new pod from him, American Prestige, really big, very fan good of that one, really good stuff. Very good, yeah, very very good. You should have him on Night Rule. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd love big. to invite he might him. Might be too big now. <laughs> yeah, he might I be think too big now. I think he might ghost yeah. me. Yeah, he now that he has his own pod, uh, but uh, the you know he talks about like that the one of the elements, uh, one of the um, necessary elements for a fascist takeover of like a you know a society is a strong left because what fascism is is a sort of last gasp, um, um, basically deal with the devil that the you know bourgeois capitalists or whatever make uh to stem the rise of a militant powerful organized left that's a really um, good which, point yeah you know that was i mean that's why the that's why the business interests allied themselves with people who they would have previously found icky like mussolini and hitler is because like you know they can at least get the rabble in line you know they can they can you know through violence but also um co- personal charisma um, and appeals to ethnic uh, kind of purity and things like that. They can get the rabble in line and sort of stem the or blunt the the effect of of what what by then in Europe was very powerful communist parties, uh, which we do not have here. Um, For sure, the, the the business the CEO of Goldman Sachs is not worried about the left. You know, that's actually a really hopeful note in a weird way because I was going to ask you about the kind of political fallout from this for Biden because. Yeah, I mean, certainly you, you could say that the, the, the left in America and, you know, places like Canada, really like in a lot of different places, struggles to kind of assert its strength. The kind of zombie corpse of centrism kind of continues to, to linger onwards, uh, you know, being kept alive on life support. Um, yeah. I talked with a friend of mine yesterday, um, and that episode will be coming out soon. My friend Mo, really great guy. And he was saying that he, he really thinks this could be a, re- a death blow for Biden in not only the midterms coming up, but in the, the next presidential election. And I'm kind of curious. Thing? Yeah, well, I'm curious because the media, obviously the liberal media are totally uh, lambasting him for it. But, you know, uh, there's a question of, you know, do Americans even really give enough of a shit to vote on something like this? They probably no. agree with Biden in terms of it was time to get the fuck out. I mean, obviously they should have gotten out in the spring of 2002. So. Yeah. Um, they should never got in. <laughs> yeah. Is the, real, is the real thing. Um, do you think it'll hurt I them, suspect the what? Do you think it'll hurt them though, the the like centrist Democrats? I uh, I find it hard to believe that it will because for two reasons. One of them is that because it happened now and people have short memories, and by the elections, this will be a long distant memory. Um, it, it really will. The, the news cycle we 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 
think about an election that really hinged on something that happened two years before, uh, which doesn't happen anymore because the news cycle is so insane that people just don't remember. People will move on. Think about like the, the think about like the Cuba thing. Remember when the SOS Cuba thing was going on and how that seemed like that was like three weeks ago and it's been completely forgotten. Oh, it feels like six um, months ago. Yeah. Wow. It feels like six months ago. Uh, and it just, because people move on very quickly. These that's like the defining thing of our time is that people move on and people have short memories. So I suspect this thing, to the extent that anyone gives a shit, people will forget about it. Um, I think most people, if you ask them, they're like, yeah, we should get out. And, and I think, so I don't know that there's going to be a political cost. Cause I think even the, the, even like the media psychos who are obsessed with staying in Afghanistan forever, will also move on to the next thing, the next controversy du jour. Um, I think that the Biden presidency really hinges on the passing of this big uh, reconciliation bill um, and whether they can uh, really at least get some stimulus out into people's pockets and, and shore up the economy. I mean, that's, that's, that's what every presidential real election really hinges on that. It's something that Democrats used to understand very well. If you read uh, Rick Perlstein's books on the, on the, you know, on the 1970s and stuff, the, the, the Democrats at the time, which dominated American politics, the Democrats, we don't realize now because we're, we grew up in an era when Republicans dominated American politics, but liberals and Democrats used to dominate American politics in the middle of the 20th century. They understood that to win elections, they had to do three things, tax, 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 spend, 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 and win, win, win. That was a uh, truism that Democrats understood that around election time, you'd pass some laws to tax the rich, you'd pass some laws to get stimulus out, money into people, people's pockets through a variety of means, jobs, programs, investments, blah, 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 whatever you want to. Um, and that little bump would, would win you the election um, when uh, around election time. They would understand that very well. And that's how they controlled the Congress for 90 years. They really controlled Congress for like, no, 60 years, really. Um, yeah. And uh, but they forgot that. So if Biden is able to do that and pass this reconciliation package and able to get money in people's pockets in time before the election, then I think they have a shot. If not, they're probably toast. I mean, he should definitely put like a hologram of his face smiling on each check that goes out for sure. Just so yeah, people, they, that was the big, in their that mind. was a big mistake on the on the stimulus check that went out. And Trump, you know, was like signed his and Biden's like, yeah. no, that's too gauche for me. And I'm like, you're an idiot. I mean, if if they're not able to um, keep uh, keep Biden on his meds and for some bizarre reason, we actually see uh, Kamala Harris as the candidate in the next election do you think she stands a chance against like anyone that no i have very around? i have very low uh i have a very low opinion of kamala's political uh appeal uh i think that <laughs> the fact that she ate shit in the primary despite you know huge institutional advantages um the fact that she was able to go nowhere in, in the democratic primary i mean to the, to the point where she pulled out before you know the embarrassment of 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 getting in like eighth or whatever she was pulling at um doesn't bode well for her um i do not think that americans uh, uh find her particularly appealing um some percentage of that is gender racism and all that stuff but uh but i i promise you i think there's there's other women or even 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 women of color who would have much more appeal 
than Kamala Harris. I feel like she is just a political nothing, you know. I mean, if, if Biden isn't the nominee, though, how are they going to how are they going to like great, like gracefully well, I don't see why I mean, the only the only way Biden's not going to be the nominee is if he dies. Mm. There's yeah, no way this thing, this thing that he's just going to fucking do one term. That's some fucking West Wing bullshit fantasy. That's okay. never going to happen. That's only happened. It's like never really happened. It happened with Johnson because he because he was so sick of the fucking uh, anti-war shit. And, you know, like he had, you know, he was so bummed out about Vietnam and all that shit. Like that was such a that was such a special case. Uh, other than that, people who win the presidency, they don't give that shit up. They don't give mm. that shit up until they have to. Um, there's just no way Biden's gonna be like, you know what, Kamala, you do it. Especially seeing the the positions that he puts Kamala in, he just gives her all these like political poison tasks, like go down to the fucking border, like that's <laughs> just fucking, that's just like hanging her out to dry because yeah. you know there's no way he as per he, tradition he, with with the vice president basically. Totally, to that was again yeah. another thing that that was well understood uh, back in the day. It was conventional wisdom was that the president and vice president always looked at each other with suspicion because the president always suspected that the vice president wanted his job, which is usually true. Um, I mean, that was one of the reasons why Obama got Biden is because of all the people. That's why he, for example, didn't get Hillary because Hillary was like, you know, like Bilbo Baggins with the ring, you know, uh, 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 Biden, yeah. uh, you know, was reliably seen as at the time too old to run for president, which is funny. Um, so that is funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm beginning to wonder what the if there will be kind of a progressive insurgency in the primaries. I mean, I know it's ridiculously too far in the future to think about, but I mean, if we do want, let's say, some kind of Bernie Sanders esque progressive uprising in the primary or in the sorry the nomination race, what are what are the conditions that we need to be out there on the ground uh, pushing for, and what do we need to be doing to lay the groundwork for that? Because I kind of see well, the left pretty fucking divided right now. So. <laughs> The grim reality is that even in the best of cases, it's not going to happen, bro. Like there is, I mean, first of all, the only guy with remotely the amount, like the the level of appeal, clout, name yeah. recognition is Bernie. And man, I just don't think, I don't think he's got it in him to, to do a, a primary challenge to a, either a sitting president or a sitting vice president. Uh, that ain't going to happen. Um, it happened with Ted Kennedy in the, in the prime of his, career uh, against the incredibly unpopular uh, Jimmy Carter at the time and he ate shit you know like the institutional uh, just weight of the presidency the name recognition that comes with the presidency as if Biden didn't have enough name recognition um, is what ultimately drowns out any progressive challenger in a primary mm. not to speak you know and not even to just I mean obviously the, 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 the divisiveness within the left is one thing the labor density of in, in, in American, in American life. I mean, that is, there is no left without labor. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's never happened anywhere in the history of the world. There is no left without labor. And I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of these problems that we ascribe to politics really come down to a weakness of the, the weakness of the labor movement. Um, this is true everywhere. I mean, look at Bolivia, which was able to withstand a U.S.-backed uh, coup attempt, um, just, you know, uh, and a sort of brutal internal oligarchy because they have something like 40% uh, union density with very strong, powerful, organized labor unions that were able to 
that were able to uh, oppose the coup government and then uh, organize to to uh, oversee the the new elections and then win them. So uh, that that's just that's just the reality. There is no left in any anywhere in any country um, without labor power and militancy and the real story of the decline of the left uh post uh you know 1930 uh is the sort of steady decline of labor unions after the furious kind of pushback from capital so yeah i mean say we say we resolved all the issues of divisiveness in the left say you know jimmy Dore and jenk uger uh kissed and made up you know for just to put an example uh we would still not have enough institutional power to uh primary a city a sitting president from the left like that's just that's 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 crazy talk Ain't gonna and even maybe. maybe not even just like a serious primary challenge, but more just like a you know kind of try and generate some a symbolic some on one? A progressive progressive platform, like uh, a I Nina mean, Turner sort of, running a sort of uh, protest. I mean, candidacy. dare I say Elizabeth I mean, Warren? I know she's not super popular. Are you crazy? I'm crazy. Elizabeth yeah. Warren wasn't even supposed to was, wasn't even didn't even have the stones to uh, you it's know challenge Hillary in a primary. Like that ain't yeah, gonna happen. Bad example. You know? Or bad, bad, yeah, no, bad no. name. Elizabeth Warren is a is a team player. At the end of the day, she won't true. Um, um, I mean, it seems as though the conditions, in some ways, are pretty ripe. Obviously, I mean, they they continue to get more and more crazy when you read about conditions of places like Amazon. There was that law in California for Uber drivers that got struck down. Did you yeah. read about that? That was interesting. Yeah. I mean, that I think like when you look at like the trying to unionize something like an Uber would be yeah. such a huge, big fucking deal. Um, especially a company like that that maybe doesn't have enough uh, that doesn't kind of have enough control to uh to jam up the gears and game the system the way amazon did with their unit that big unionization vote a little while ago i Um, mean they were able to jam up the gears enough to get that prop proposition passed in california which i was i mean it was like an ocean of money right it was an ocean of money i've never seen uh, i've never i mean my phone I'm on the left and my phone was being flooded by, uh, you know, these campaigns, all of the apps, which people love, people love the apps, people mm-hmm. love the Uber Eats, people love the Postmates, people love the, all of them were just like, hey, uh, I mean, they weren't exactly doing this, but they might as well have been doing like the 15% off your next, uh, your next uh, Postmates, <laughs> if you just support Prop 22 or whatever. And it's like, um, it was crazy. So they were able to get that prop passed, even though like, I mean, that was just like insanity. I mean, yeah, they overplayed their hand, it seems. And mm. uh, yeah, so. Well, I mean, maybe the maybe the judiciary didn't like them going in and just fucking like basically like bribing the whole system. Yeah, um, I'm sure they t- I'm sure the judges have taken an Uber to themselves and they're just like, Jesus Christ, like everyone hates push notifications, you know, ultimately. They're like, fuck yeah. off with that shit, bro. That's true. Um, what, I mean, getting back to the question of uh, like the withdrawal from Afghanistan and kind of the, the political fallout from it. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty fucking funny to see Tony Blair criticizing Biden. So I'm yeah. pretty sure like when Tony Blair criticizes you from like a leftward position, um, you're completely and utterly fucked because that guy is like the, the ghoul of ghouls. I mean, I think I think a, a, a black hole of amorality follows him wherever he goes. Um but I think there's, you know, there's potentially a hit here. You know, their European allies are criticizing them. I Who mean, gives I, a shit? No one I mean, gives a shit about the European like, allies. No, I know. But like, maybe could we see something like like less of a a kind of uh, like, because NATO has been normalized into the kind of the post-Cold War order. 
But I mean, I think you can probably interrogate that and question its usefulness in some ways for things besides, you know, a deterrent against Russia in like Eastern Europe and whatnot. I mean, that obviously NATO wasn't even involved uh, officially in the invasion of Afghanistan, probably another hit to its legitimacy. I mean, do you think, do you think that there'll be implications for the US in terms of geopolitical and geostrategic terms? Um, or do you think mm. that will just kind of like fizzle out mm. too? That will just, fizzle out. I mean, what are they yeah. going to do? What are the Europeans going to do? I don't know. Pull what out of NATO? I mean, that's that's probably they're I not going to pull out of NATO. They're, are they're you probably insane? not. No, it's a great deal. For no, them. they're not. They're not going to pull out of NATO. They're too scared of big bad Putin. And, and like, what is, is Russia? Gonna and they don't want to. Do people they actually fucking think Russia is going to invade Europe. Like, I mean, no, I know it's, it's happened a couple of times, but like, no, it's been a little no, while. No, it's actually not. It's the opposite. Usually it's Europe oh, that's true, actually. Russia. They usually start You know, it, yeah. the Russians have to be more scared of us. That's, the, that's I mean, true, actually. That's the whole yeah. thing with NATO is that, like, we see it from our perspective, but they see it from their perspective. And they're like, yo, you guys have invaded us. No, they didn't. No, the Europeans have invaded Russia three times. Uh, famously, Napoleon invaded Napoleon, Russia yeah. in World War One. It was invaded by by Germany, and then in World War II again, uh, in a war that killed 22 million Russian lives. Yep. Um, so they're like, "Fuck you guys! You're the one who keep on invading us. Uh, we don't invade you ever. We're just here doing our fucking uh, eating our borscht and minding our own business." Uh, true. So no, but the the Euro but uh, the Europeans uh, are kind of they've. They've internalized a sort of similar fear of Putin that like, or I don't even know if it's like real or not, but like this idea of Putin as this like big bad, um, the way like the libs did here in America. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, 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 but really there's just, there's, there's no way that they're going to pull out of NATO because, because they need, they need it more than, they need it more than the Americans do. They need it more like, that's just, that's just the reality. They don't want to spend you know whatever percentage of their of their annual budgets on defense spending the way america does uh they don't want to do that they're, yeah i think they're I mean, at two percent or something right it. now they want the americans want them at four percent i mean let's let's table europe because it's kind of a shit. special case but like let's look at like american soft power in like a, the, the world at large i mean if you were a government somewhere in the global south and america came in and said hey we're going to partner with you if shit goes bad don't worry we got your back i mean are you really going to trust them as much as you as you would have four months ago Prior no, to this fucking they wouldn't debacle? trust them. They didn't trust them before. Uh, they didn't trust them. The global South did not trust the United States before this. I mean, mm. the the United States pulled out of the Iran deal after signing the fucking deal. Yeah. Uh, the United States uh, scuttled the Paris uh, uh, climate accords after signing it. Um, you know, like the United States is not a trustworthy partner. The global South understands this perfectly well. Uh, the global South does not support the U.S being in Afghanistan, generally speaking. Uh, the Global South does not support the U.S. Uh, support for Israel. Um, the, U the Global South is very well aware of what the United States does around the world and does not fall for the bullshit. This is all, this is all stuff that like, you know, like we were talking about Bessner's podcast, it was the, 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 the title is American Prestige. It's an mm. ironic kind of name because right. only, only U.S. elites see that. Right. <laughs> you know, that they, they like, we need to be in Afghanistan for American prestige to preserve our prestige abroad. Mm. And it's like, so true. Fucking hate you. Wow. You I've, re I've internalized that Nando. Thank you. You've, you've, you've brought the light to my eyes. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. They're the ones that are, that are fucking talking about that shit. I mean, they're the ones I talking about that shit. You know, fucking Evo yeah. Morales is not talking about that shit. He doesn't, he'd rather Americans just stay out of there and get rid of the bases and all that shit. You know, I mean, they're driving them right into the, uh, the waiting arms of China and the Asian, uh, infrastructure investment bank right 
which yeah, to be honest is like have... kind of when I when I've, I've been reading their proposals lately, like they've 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 done a bunch of new proposals post pandemic, and it's just like it's on a whole nother fucking level now. And this is an institution that's like less than seven years old now, mm-hmm. but they're they've got they're you know building fucking massive solar generators. And I mean, I think I think there's still going to be a lot of problems. Like let's let's assume hopefully that the U.S. empire retreats and we end up in kind of a multipolar kind of global order scenario, it's still probably going to be shitty and it's still probably going to have a lot of problems, but potentially it could be a little bit better than what we got now. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's still, I mean, what's still a, a, a fact of life on the ground is that, you know, even though China's about to surpass the United States in, in overall GDP um, and China's influence on the world is growing, as you noted, um, the fact of the matter is that the United States has 750 military bases all over the world. China has one military base outside of its borders. Yeah. One, yeah. Somewhere in the middle of fucking Africa for some reason, probably to protect some sort of mine or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the that I mean, so when when people talk about the uh, uh, retreat of the unipolar uh, moment, um it still has to reckon with the U.S. military machine, um, which is still as powerful as ever, or still as violent as ever, and still as uh, global as ever. And there is no real, um, there is no real power kind of uh, challenging it. People talk about like China's military capabilities. I have no doubt that China would win a land war against the United States in China, but like China's not interested in bombing anyone. The United States is bombing all shit ton of countries right now. I and mean, we talk about Afghanistan, you know, there's still bombs flying around in, in Yemen and in, the, and in Somalia and in, probably in Libya and in Iraq and Syria and a bunch of other places. Like China is not fucking interested in doing any of that shit. Um, so there, the, the, the multipolar world that is emerging, or at least the sort of the US versus China maybe India, you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> still has to reckon with the, with the reality that the United States military is still the global kind of fighting force um, in a way. Yeah, and still undergirded by this ideology that they, they have, the, this is their proper place, this, they have this right. I mean, I always say to my friends, it's like, you can have a drone that will bomb some village halfway across the world, but without the idea in the operator's head that what they're doing is justified and right, they're never going to fucking push that button. So mm. maybe we can kind of uh, deconstruct some of that ideology. Um, another topic on my mind, a couple of topics on my mind kind of related to this is, you know, I mean, yes, it was partially propagandistic, but um, when you look at the rhetoric around and, and the military adventurism um, around the war on terror, you know, and then we look at Afghanistan today, Afghanistan today, it's like the America kind of dropped the flag in terms of saying, oh, we're actually going to fight Islamic, Islamic fundamentalism. We give a shit about Islamic fundamentalism, which has got to be so disheartening for people in Iran, people across the region who, you know, like, like fun, that fundamentalism is directly affecting their lives in a negative way. Um, and I'm wondering like how you view that kind of situation spinning out. And also in a related question, I mean, it would be nice to consider this withdrawal as, as kind of maybe the beginning of the end of the war on terror, but there's probably going to be a very long tail of kind of how the technology of that war and, uh, you know, things like uh, domestic spying and whatnot are going to have a long life. And even just the criminalization of immigrants overall, of all backgrounds. Do you think that's something that the left is going to have to contend with 
in the coming decades as we kind of try and mop up this ideological and moral mess that's mm. behind us or hopefully starting to go be behind us well maybe i'll start there's i feel like there's two 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 big things there in yeah our, our attack. but I've, start with the uh, islamic fundamentalist thing Islamic fundamentalism was funded and supported by the United States for decades as a bulwark against Arab secular nationalism. Um, so, uh, and then um, the best thing that ever happened to American fundamental, uh, sorry, Islamic fundamentalism was the war on terror, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, both as a recruiting tool, but also as a means of funds that was flying around, you know, from Saudi Arabia and, uh, you know, the UAE and all these, and all these other things. So like, the U.S. forgetting about Islamic fundamentalism is probably the best thing ever to uh, to um, to take the wind out of its sails. Um, mm. You know, the U.S. was very terrified of, of secular Arab nationalism for, you know, fundamentally because they didn't want them to um, nationalize their oil. Yeah, assert um, their right to self-determination. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Things like that. Um, so that's why the United States supported Saudi Arabia and Wahhabism and all that shit. So... The United States forgetting about economic fundamentalism is probably the best thing to ever happen um, for people who are opposed to uh, Islamic fundamentalism. Mm. Um, and then in terms of deconstructing the empire, uh, this may be the first step. I hope it is a first step. Um, I, I do find that the American people are exhausted by it, that there is no real support for it anymore, which doesn't really that matter that much, although it matters a little bit, um, because I do feel that democracy is ho at home is is fundamentally at odds with empire abroad um you just can't do it you just can't do it you just can't have the empire and democracy it's they're 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 ideas that are fundamentally opposed um, yeah and then that execution of empire abroad will always enter the subconsciousness of the society at home too mm -hmm. right it's it's you may try and repress it you may try and pretend okay this doesn't make us less human this doesn't make us more prone to dehumanizing others but of course, inevitably, it will. I mean, we can see that it's it could not that that could not be more obvious when you look at American politics right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know you got a hard out in a few minutes here. Um, yeah, I'll give you the last word. I mean, honestly, I look to you for for strategy and for insight and for analysis. And I think I think it's an important it's important for people to think of think outside the box a little bit in terms of how we can push back on the politics of cruelty and hatred and how we can kind of help to build and broaden our the base of our political movement and drive solidarity. I mean, what advice do you have for the listeners of Night Rule who, you know, mm. once night rolls over and the buzz is worn off, might be thinking, hey, how can I go out there and make a little bit of a better world, Nando? Um, Unionize? The, yeah, well, you know, the best thing, well, the, the best advice I could give to anyone is you got to play the long game, you know, mm. that... Um, we are we are all neoliberal uh, subjects, uh, and we are all conditioned to um, see ourselves as consumers and and instant gratification and all that stuff. Um, the game of left politics is a long one. The struggle is going to be a long one. It'll probably be, it'll be a lifetime, and you probably will lose most of the time, and you will probably uh, um, and you may lose ultimately the whole thing. Um, mm. So. I think you have to have you have to go into it with a certain sense of perspective that I, I do find the short termism of of, you know, thinking that um, there are if you just kind of like do a little do a shortcut, you know, there's like this like this little thing. There's all these like shortcut uh, ideas that pop up 
and uh, they're they're like a uh, they're like a mirage in the oasis. Um, they are not real. Um, the the politics of le of of left struggle uh, and emancipation and all that stuff is a long one. Um, it is one that goes through labor um, is the only way that history is proven. I mean, unless there is a new thing that I, you know, I don't have the creativity or foresight to see. I only can look at the past and see what's worked in the past. And the only time that uh, progress has ever happened ever under capitalism is through a strong militant and powerful uh, labor movement. So, I mean, that's how, that's what I would always say to people is to uh, in, um, understand that um, and, uh, and then gain some perspective from that in that it's not about like, if you just tweet a little harder, if you just tweet a little, if you just tweet with a little bit more, you know, yeah. or whatever. I mean, even um, on the level of if we just win this one election, I mean, I think like we kind of fantasize about a, a Napoleonic figure coming in. I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to the age of Napoleon podcast now. I don't know if you are too, but like, mm. I think that's probably that was probably more the transition from feudalism to modernity and now i mean i just i mean obviously it would be great if we got a bernie sanders in office and it would really have a huge huge profound impact and speed things up but maybe change will be a little more granular and and gradual i mean I'm, i i oppose kind of incrementalism in all forms yet i'm finding I'm, i feel like we reject it a little too uh, readily as well well, I mean, I think that the lib in incrementalism is the stupid thing because they yeah. they they see it as a uh, um, they 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 use it as a as an excuse to to negotiate against themselves. But yeah. uh, the the reality is that the reality is that you need to build up labor power in order to take advantage of political openings. The few times that they exist, they happen every once in a while. Um, and, and then a flurry of activity happens, uh, you know, the new deal, uh, which transformed American society. I mean, I don't think people realize how transformative the new deal was in America. I don't think if you looked at America in 1919 and you looked at America in 1940, you know, different countries, uh, different, yeah. the difference is just staggering, um, just absolutely staggering. Um, and what happened in the, in the meantime was that there was a, there was a flurry of labor activity that then laid the groundwork for a new type of politics and FDR and all that shit. Um, and uh, that, that's just, that, that's what you got to do. You just got to, you got to build up labor power in, a, in, a, in an era when it's incredibly difficult. It's much more difficult than it was back then, despite the fact that back then they were like literally murdering trade unionists. I mean, the, the reality of global capitalism is, is one in which it makes it just much more, much more difficult to do it, but it is there. It is the only, it is the only way to do it. It's the only way to oppose the power of capital to stand up against it is through organized labor. And there's just, I don't know, there's no other way to do it. So that's what I say to people is you just got to um, avoid the culture war at all costs. The culture war is poison. The culture war is fake. The culture war also, it leads nowhere. Um, and the victories that you think are hollow victories and the defeats, they're not so bad. So, uh, because they, if you think about it, nothing really has changed. Um, so avoid the culture war at all, at all, at all costs. If you're just trying to talk to your friends into becoming, uh, leftists, you got to start with their material self-interests. That's the only way people kind of uh, join any, any political program, really. Um, not a good idea to shame people, not a good idea to, um, tell them how stupid they are or anything like that. You just got to 
try to reframe it into their lives and try to see how and try to show them how their lives could be better should if there were uh you know a different type of politics around totally agree um yeah listen i know you got to go here so we can leave it there but i'll just let people know our intro song today is from toriyama toriyama yuji it's called what the fuck is it called oh yeah peephole it's got kind of a saucy saucy name so let's you know peepholes traditionally are really abhorrent and really you know could be argued as you could argue that they're really a form of sexual assault but let's when the neo-nazis are in the locker room getting out of their regular street clothes to reveal their nazi uniforms underneath let's go ahead and carve a peephole so we can find out who they are and check them out and then the outro song is called hot typhoon um nando you're a bit of a hot typhoon yourself thank you for swirling in to night rule bringing with you all of your talents and uh, insights as we seek a, uh, a greater solution and a new humanitude. So thank you so much. And I'll let you know when this is out and right, I hope man. we get to talk soon. All right. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Take care. Later.